Hello, hello. Okay. Good morning. Oh, y'all responded. That's so nice. That doesn't usually happen. Okay, so today we are continuing our look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, So I want you to see real quick the flow of Jesus' sermon, um, because his whole point of this talk is to teach his followers to live a life that's counter to the culture and counter to everything that he's been taught, so to live a life upside down. So he's saying what what is truly a blessing, um, to live a life that's humble and self-sacrificing, seeking after righteousness, and that's where the true blessings are. And then he encourages them to be the salt of the earth, to preserve goodness, to be to be the light of the world, to show a pursuit of righteousness for other people to see. And then he stops to clarify and he says, I'm not throwing out the rules, but I actually fulfill all the rules through his righteousness. And so if we're to live out that righteousness, then we are called to be even better than the Pharisees, which if you know anything about the Pharisees, they were like the ultimate example of following every single law to a T. But Jesus says you have to be better than they are at following the law if you want any chance into getting to heaven. And so what he's trying to get us to understand, he wants us to have a deeper understanding that it's not just about following the law, but it's about loving the God that gave us the law. And so because of him, then we live a transformed life. And so it's about the motivation behind the rules. So then naturally, after that, Jesus begins to break down several rules. There's actually six that he goes through that they have been taught that they've just not had the proper understanding of. And so he always begins each little section. It says, you have heard that it was said. So he's saying that you've been taught all these things, but this is not what God intended. So he's derailing their whole thinking. So last week, Dave covered um, anger and lust. So he's saying to be angry and have contempt of someone is just as bad as murdering them. Or looking at lustfully at someone and treating them like an object is just as bad as adultery. And so following the natural progression, if anger and lust are built on each other and you're not, you don't get to the root of that, then that can lead to divorce. And so that's where he goes next. I forgot my clicker, so you're going to have to, sorry. Um, Okay, so I want to say real quick that this is a really, really tough topic um, for everyone in the room. For me, I was always anxious about this topic growing up because I have an aunt and a grandma who have both been divorced, um, and one of those were, like, really nasty divorce, um, just really, really bad on both sides. Um, So I have been affected by it, just as I'm sure almost all of you have been affected by it. Um, The divorce rate in the U.S. is 50% of marriages end in divorce. Um, So whether that's just a distant relative or your friend's parents or your own parents, I I understand that we have all been affected by this. So I want you to know I want to be as sensitive as possible on this topic while also trying to teach the truth that God has deemed worthy enough to put in here. Um, But I just want us to remember, though, that when we read Scripture, God's Word is always for our good. It's never for our harm. It's always for our good. So I just want you to remember that. So let's read in Matthew 5, verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife... Let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So this is not all that Jesus has to say about divorce. He doesn't just, like, drop this bomb and run. Um, So he also talks a lot more about it in Matthew 19. So I think it would be worth us going there real quick um, to see what he says first. So Matthew 19, verse 3. 
Uh, and the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no, no longer two, but one flesh. What, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you that whoever devices, divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So the Pharisees first ask him, what are the reasons that I can have to get a divorce? So like, what are the list of things? If I want to get a divorce, what can I look for to make that happen? So Jesus does what Jesus always does, and he takes the question further, and he doesn't even answer their question. But instead of giving them reasons why they should get a divorce, he gives them reasons why they shouldn't get a divorce. And he brings it back to God's design of marriage. Because from the beginning, God created man and woman to be joined together in marriage, to leave their parents and to cleave together as one. So what God has joined together, let no man separate. So marriage is an everlasting commitment to one another, mimicking the commitment that God has made to his church, to his people. So it's a sacred covenant that should be held in a high regard and protected no matter how difficult. And so he wants them to change their view of marriage to have a high view of marriage. But then the Pharisees ask, well, how come Moses commanded us to get a divorce? But the thing is, Moses didn't command it. He even says he allowed it because of your hardness of hearts. And so the fact that they're also just trying to find a way out proves their, their hardness of heart. So back in Deuteronomy 24, when Moses gives this, he, he's not saying, like, you should get a divorce. He's saying, if you get divorced, if something happens, if there's um, sexual immorality, there's, the marriage is defiled, if you just can't quite get reconciled, then this is the protocol. This is what you should do. Um, and Moses was trying to make sure that they were taking marriage seriously, and he was trying to protect women from getting exploit, exploited. <clears throat> because back then, if um, there was a large population that believed that you could get divorced for the dumbest reasons. And so the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus in this and asking, what are the reasons? Because they believed and they were teaching that a husband could divorce a wife if she burnt the toast or if she uh, wasn't as pretty as she was when she got, first got married. Like, for real, those were the reasons that they were teaching to get divorced. And back then, if a man divorced a woman and she did not have a family to go back to, then she would have to support herself and provide for herself, which in some cases meant prostitution. So in just a literal sense alone, Jesus is saying, if you just dump your wife for no reason, you are making her commit adultery. So, but then Jesus tells them, Moses gave these instructions because of your hardness of heart, because a marriage from the beginning was not intended to separate. We have to have a high view of marriage. It is sacred, and in any circumstances, you should work to preserve marriage. Now, just a side note, if there's abuse in a, you know, a, that kind of situation, you have to get safe first, obviously. But what he's saying here is that you have to work to preserve the marriage. But of course, because of sin and human nature, marriage is challenging. And if you don't get to the heart of your problems, whatever that is, whether it's anger, idolatry, or lust, or whatever it is, if you don't get into that, then that thing can snowball. So he's saying you have to have 
a high view of marriage first. And yet we should fight for marriage in any circumstance and try and work to the bitter end, and then divorce is a last resort. And yes, sometimes it will happen. Sometimes so much is going on between one or both that they just can't quite reconcile, but we shouldn't jump to that first. But what's important here in this passage that Jesus is trying to get across is we need to remember the importance that God has placed on, the, on marriage, and we have to take it seriously. It's not just a flippant decision. We can't just like Ross Geller it and get married on a whim, right? Every time you feel like it. So I, I think, if you think about it, in a way, our attitude toward dating has really affected our view of marriage. Because think about what happens with dating. A lot of times you're like, oh, it's not serious. We're not really committed. You're friends with benefits. What is that? Um, there's no, you know, no expectations. You're not, you know, whatever. You're not exclusive. Okay, but when you do that, then you break up, and it means you don't even have to be committed. You're easily just break up and then hop to the next person. So, of course, it's hard if we live in that to go into marriage to living in the ultimate commitment. So the people were taking divorce so lightly, and Jesus is saying that your view of marriage should be so highly that you do whatever it takes to make it work first. And if you choose in, in, to end it lightly or you don't even attempt reconciliation or if, there's, or if they haven't been unfaithful, then now you are the one being unfaithful because you're choosing something else over that commitment that you made. And I know that's hard to hear, but think about this. Anytime we sin, are we not also choosing something over God in that moment? If you look at the Old Testament, think about how many times they turn their back on God and choose other gods. Essentially cheating on God because they're choosing this over their promise to follow God with all their hearts. God even commands a prophet, Hosea, to marry a prostitute who cheats on him all the time so that we can see the picture of what it looks like of how Israel cheats on God all the time and how we cheat on God all the time. And yet, every time in all of these situations, there is always grace and redemption. And God even sends his own son, Jesus, to die on a cross to cover our sin because we can't stop cheating on God. So Jesus hits it at the heart here. It's not about where the line is or what reasons can I have to get divorced. It's about in- treasuring the institution of marriage. Ultimately, it's about love and reconciliation and forgiveness. And if we are to live out these beatitudes and have a different purpose and a different attitude in life, if we're supposed to be peacemakers and meek and poor in spirit, then wouldn't we want to forgive and work at reconciling what God has deemed this sacred commitment? So again, I I know this is tough because we probably all know someone who has gone through this or is currently hurting in this, but it's a broken world. Broken things happen. And there's no condemnation for what has happened in the past. I would hope that you wouldn't judge me for the things that I've done in my past. So instead, we have to set our eyes on Jesus, who is the ultimate giver of grace and who can redeem literally anything. And we have to be thankful that he can give us opportunities to learn from our past and to redeem our brokenness. Okay, so I have to move on, but just know that any leader here would be happy to talk with you or work, walk alongside with you if you have more questions about this. Um, so the next part that Jesus talks about is oaths. So marriage is a very important, specific type of oath, and now he's going into more of a general um, topic of oaths. So read in verse 33. 
So again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the, his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no, and anything more of this comes from evil. So some people read this and they think he's talking about cussing, or some people read this and think he's saying that we shouldn't pledge allegiance to the flag. Um, that is not actually what Jesus is talking about here. Um, what's really happening is Jesus is using hyperbolic language to, to get this big point across that we should live up to our word. So a lot of people back then were swearing by different things to make themselves seem more valid. Sounds kind of familiar, right? So a lot of times we don't feel like you can say, I swear by God, X, Y, and Z. Instead, we use the next step lower and try and make it sound better. So I swear by all that's holy. I swear by my mother's grave. Y'all get the picture. So, but that doesn't really work because it's still the same idea, right? And it's still by swearing by something that is still the Lord's. Because if heaven is his throne, earth is his footstool, and Jerusalem is his city, what are you going to swear on? Nothing is ours. It's all his. It all belongs to God. And then the people back then were also taking it a step further and using it as a way to back out of their vows. So if they didn't use a divine name, like swearing on the temple or the altar. So if they didn't swear on something holy, then they technically didn't have to keep their words. So then you weren't lying or swearing falsely. But they're using it as an excuse to lie, basically. So Jesus is saying, if you're going to do that, then just don't even swear at all because it's all the Lord's. And if you don't even plan to keep your word, then you're swearing falsely on God. Or sometimes you tell a friend and you're telling a friend a story and then you're like, no, really, no, really, or no lie, or I swear I'm telling the truth. But why, why do we feel like we have to say that? I say that. I do that. Um... But, I mean, does that mean you're lying if you're not saying it? So that we feel like we need to do this to, so that the person will really believe what you're saying. Um, it almost makes us more valid. Or almost we think that we have to use this higher power to make us be valid. Almost to, like, prove it's true. But we shouldn't have to swear using God's name to prove something is true. You should just do what you say. So if you're going to say yes, then mean yes. If you're going to say no, then mean no. So instead, your character and the way that you live your life should be with such integrity that the words will be believed, that people will know that you're going to live up to your word. So have you ever changed a story just slightly to make yourself come out better in it? Or that you promised you would do something, but when it came down to it, it's just really inconvenient? I think we probably have all done something like this, but... We're so used to people around us lying and backing out of their word that we feel like we have to emphasize what we say. But Jesus is more interested in truthfulness and constancy. And if as believers we're examples of following the truth, then our words also need to be filled with truth. And then Jesus says in verse 38, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have the cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. 
So I feel like we have a lot to clarify here. So was the law really saying that if someone stabs you in the eye, you should turn around and pop theirs out too? Or that we shouldn't fight back if someone is beating you up? Or, <laughs> or that you should give all your money to someone just because they asked, even though you know they're going to spend it on drugs? So maybe not. Um, so this is why, this is actually a good example of why we really encourage you to really study the Bible instead of just taking random verses out of context. Um, so it's important for us to look at the context and see what Jesus is really saying. So an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So he's actually bringing up a law in Exodus, and that specific law was intended for the judges at the time. So the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, were taking it, and they were teaching it to the people as a way to exact personal justice. So it would be like you're walking in, class, in your school, and then you see someone skip class, and then you try and give that person detention. But that's not your job. It's not your job to exact justice or to get a penalty from him. So the people were thinking, okay, well, if someone hurts me, then I turn around and hurt them. If they steal my phone, I go and steal theirs. If they punch me, I punch them back. Or I guess in their day, if they stole my camel, then you go steal their camel. But that's not what the law was intended for. This was for the judges as a way to protect the weak from the strong. It was a way to protect someone from getting a worse punishment than what was deserved for what they had done. So if somebody stole... This way they wouldn't get the death penalty just from stealing a camel. So the teachers, however, were, had turned it into this personal revenge and personal re- retaliation on someone. But ultimately, Jesus wants us to be merciful. And you all know what mercy is, right? Mercy is not giving something that is deserved. Just how like God shows us mercy, not giving us eternal death because he loves us so much, but instead extending grace, even though we deserve it, but he is holding it back. So he says, turn the other cheek and don't resist evil. So we've all heard that one, right? Turn turn the other cheek. It kind of sounds like bad advice. Like it sounds like something that goes counter to our instincts and to worldly logic. But we're reading it from the wrong context. So a slap in the face actually just meant a personal insult, not that you had been physically slapped. So Jesus is not saying that you should not defend yourself if you're getting beat up or that you should not stand up for what's right or that you shouldn't protect someone if they're being attacked. But he is talking about personal abuse and personal self-sacrifice. So if someone insults you, instead of going into an insulting war, just take it. Just let them insult you. What good is it going to do if you get into this battle? Is it really going to make you feel better? So he's just saying take it and shrug it off. Have you ever tried to um, insult your brother or sister, but then they just ignored you and, like, kept walking? How'd that make you feel? It's annoying, right? Because you tried to harm them, and it didn't work, and it was unsatisfying. So don't give someone the satisfaction, guys. Be the bigger person. Um, But let's be real, though. Words that people throw at you can feel just as painful as if they're punching you in the gut. Uh, And I get it, especially if it's all over social media. So it's tough for us to live out. But let me ask you this question. What is your identity placed in? How do you define yourself? Do you place your importance and value on what people are saying about you, whether that's you're great at sports or you're really pretty, or whether that's in the negative on those rumors and these lies that people are saying about you? Is that what defines you, or is Christ who defi- what defines you? 
is who the person that Christ has called you, a beloved child of God, wonderfully and beautifully made, important, an ambassador of Christ, a representative of Christ. It's hard because our human nature and our instinct wants to fight back, right? We want to get revenge. If they were mean, then they deserve pain. It's almost like we, we just don't want to be taken advantage of. It's almost like we want to be God over them. But let's just not. That's, that's not our job. It's not our job to give judgment on them. Look at Romans 12, 17. Paul says this, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So just leave it to God to handle justice. If you've ever opened the book of Revelation, it's scary enough to know that God can handle it. And he will handle it appropriately to what is actually owed. So it goes with that call to be the salt and the light of the world. Show goodness and don't stoop to other people's level just because you feel like they deserve pain. We're not vigilantes. This isn't an Avenger movie. So Jesus was the ultimate example of this. He was reviled and beaten and had a humiliating death, and yet he chose not to retaliate. And you know he could have sent a lightning bolt down if he wanted to. But instead, he, he persevered through it and let God handle the justice in the end. So the point Jesus is making in all this, that if, if we're to be the light and the darkness and preserve goodness in the world, we shouldn't retaliate and lash out, but we should show mercy even if they don't deserve it and be generous, generous to others. The next few verses say, go above and beyond what is asked of you. Don't hold so tightly to something that you don't give to someone who truly needs it. Now, of course, if it's harmful to that person, then you have to use discernment. But Jesus is saying that we shouldn't look at generosity like, what can I get out of this? Or, or what would be owed to me in return? Just be generous. Because what we own isn't really ours anyway, right? If it all belongs to the Lord. So we shouldn't do the bare minimum. But we should do more than what's asked and more that's, than what's expected of you. And why? Because Jesus because Jesus sacrificed his entire life for you, I think we can give more than the bare minimum to help someone. So he's saying be different. Be a people who, who someone will notice because you act differently. Because your identity is in Christ, and your greater hope is in Christ, and what you have in him will last eternity, way longer than a few dollars will. So now Jesus takes this idea even further to say, now love your enemies. So verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes this, the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Um, so, the, first of all, the Old Testament doesn't actually say hate your enemies. Um, it says to love your neighbors. And so the people were saying, okay, well, if I'm going to love my neighbors, then that means I have to hate my enemies. But that's not here. This is, again, the people are distorting this teaching from the Old Testament. 
So you've heard this phrase, hate the sin but not the sinner, right? So God might hate evil, but look at all the common grace that he gives to everyone, not just believers. It says both the sun shines and the rain pours down on all people. So those are both good things because rain brings crop to the pe- crops to the people um, and helps them flourish. So he's saying that everyone receives blessings and everyone has good things happen to them. That's common grace that hopefully will lead them to repentance in the Lord and help to recognize the Lord. So he's saying love your enemies and your neighbors. Kind of like turning your other cheek. Pray for those who persecute you. Because God loved rebellious sinners so much that he sent his own son to die for them before we even cared who he was. So then he says, if you only love those who love you, and if you're only a friend to those who are your closest friends, what good is that? How are you any different from the Gentiles? So a Gentile is anyone who is not a Jew. So what he's saying that how are you any different from an unbeliever if you're only ever kind and hang out with other believers? So who is going to show God's righteousness to others if you don't talk to them? Paul even says this in Romans 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So let me tell you this, you are all sent. You all have a mission field right where you are in your high school. So if you, have, if you are a follower of Christ and you have made that commitment, then you have to live it out and let others see the difference and let them know you have a God who was worthy of infinite glory and loved us while we were worthless sinners. So there's something to be said about hanging out with people who are a bad influence though, right? And I, th- I think you know the difference. Because if someone is influencing you to compromise your beliefs and make you do stuff that you know is wrong, then you've got to step back. But, and we should have a core group of friends that push you towards Christ. But we, still, still, we should still be friends to everyone and go out of our way to show kindness to the people, even if they're hard to love. So Jesus says, be perfect. And you don't have to panic. He does not mean actually be perfect. The word perfect means complete or whole. So pursue, pursue the perfection. Pursue righteousness and the completeness that is only found in Christ. So pursue Christ, who is the one who completes the law and shows us how to live out this righteousness that's not just outwardly following the law, but loving the God who gave us the law. So earlier, Jesus says to have this righteousness that's greater than the Pharisees. So we want to obey in a way that's complete, but we also want to love in a way that's complete. As, as my husband and I are trying to figure out how to raise kids, which is really hard, by the way, um, my desire for them is to not only do the right thing, but I want them to desire to do the right thing for the right reasons. And that's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. And I want you to see this connection in Jesus' sermon throughout when he breaks down these rules for us and see how they're connected to these blessings that he said we have in our new way of life. He says, if you're, you're going to be pure in heart, then don't make oaths that you don't intend to keep. If you're going to be a peace, peacemaker and rejoice in those who persecute you for your righteousness, then love those who persecute you. If you're going to be meek and think of others first, then don't retaliate, but give more than what is asked of you. And think of others more important than yourself. But most importantly, love God first and have a heart for God and in turn, a heart for his commands. I'm going to pray and then we can, um, 
answer your questions at the table. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for giving your, uh, your word, Lord, that we are able to, to dive in and really understand what you truly intend for us, Lord, that it's not just about commands, um, it's not just about the law, Lord, but it's about loving you first, God. And I pray that you, lo- I thank you that you loved us first. I pray that we can really understand that today, um, even through some of these hard topics, Lord, um, that it's not just about the commands, it's about you, Lord. Um, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.